John chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Hey, good morning, guys. Let's, uh, let's say a little prayer and get into it. Father, let some word that is heard be yours. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, so back before we had kids and we used to go uh, do stuff like this, um, my wife Lindsay and I got into Bikram yoga for a little while. You guys, uh, you know what this is, Bikram yoga? Yeah. yeah. It's hot, hot. It's real hot. The guy who invented this particular sequence of moves, he, um, he set the temperature in the room at what the average temperature was in where he grew up in India, which is 105 degrees Fahrenheit, which I imagine to him felt like home. <laughs> to me, it felt like hell. I, I, was, I, I would be in class like, why are you paying for this? Why are you in here right now? Because you just sweat buckets in there. And what's kind of nice, like in the wintertime, you'd get kind of loose and it was really detoxifying and stuff. Although I do need to warn you, if you want to try it, if you have eaten garlic or cheese in the last week, everybody in that room is going to know about it because you sweat everything out of your body. Um, but it was like we were getting real healthy, real flexible. Um, it was, we were doing it together. It was really nice. But it is expensive. And so um, this opportunity came up. They, uh, the studio we were going to in the Bronx, they offered Lindsay an opportunity to do a work study. She worked a few hours a week at the front desk and free unlimited yoga in exchange for that. And she was really into it. So she was very excited about this. And she posted something online about it. And shortly thereafter, she got a private message from one of the ladies at our home church who was sort of one of those self-appointed guardians of the truth. And... Um, <laughs> Explain to Lindsay how, um, you know, yoga was demonic, uh, it was pagan, it was a pagan religion, and um, that she was unwittingly worshiping false gods, and that um, it was totally inappropriate for a Christian person to do, and then the real zinger was, it was extra inappropriate for a pastor's wife uh, to do, because we were pl church playing at the time, so she just like threw that in there, which let me just say... If you have a pastor anywhere in your family thing, then like anything you do wrong is like double wrong, you know? It's just like, oh, your uncle's a pastor? And oh, and your dad's a pastor? It's like everything is double the value. Even though I know not to do people like that, I almost did that because I taught, I teach fifth grade math for my full-time job, and I taught the son of a church planter buddy in, in our neighborhood, and he was a bit of a character. And Several times in the year, I found myself tempted to be like, look at you. Your dad's out here on these streets preaching the gospel, and just look at you. But fortunately, I never did. I kept it inside the whole year. I never threw that in his face. But So she did that. She put that little bit in there. Um, and 
you know, when somebody um, rebukes you or challenges you, the, you know, the best first thing to do is, you know, try not to get defensive and try to ask yourself, like, what, is this true? You know, because sometimes I'm wrong. So, you know, we thought about it, and I was like, well, but no, it's not. That's actually not true. This truth from the self-appointed guardian of truth from our home church, it was not even true. I mean, I suppose yoga could be demonic, but Netflix can be demonic. So, and, and what we were doing was not demonic. And, and I'm familiar with the pagan uh, roots of yoga. I, I studied Shaolin Kung Fu for a while, and Shaolin Kung Fu actually came out of yoga 1,500 years ago. And the origins of yoga in primitive man were uh, attempts to mimic the postures of animals and the movements of the sun and the star. And in different places, there was a quasi-spiritual significance to these gestures. I think you could say a religious uh, significance to these gestures. But that's not the point. I mean, your Christmas tree is pagan in origin. Pants are pagan. <laughs> Eastern Orthodox preaches, or priests wear robes because the apostles wore robes because pants hadn't been invented yet. So the question isn't, does something have pagan roots? Everything has pagan roots. The question is, what is it now? And that requires a little bit more sophisticated handling of truth than this very simple, I'll, I'll say oversimplified and rigid bullet, list of bullet points. And there's a weird thing going on there that, that because that truth was without grace, and what I mean by that is it was not, uh, it did not give the benefit of the doubt. It was not open to the complexities of the situation. It was rigid and oversimplified. A, because it was a graceless truth, it wasn't even true. That truth without grace stops even being true. You have probably noticed the other phenomenon too, and that grace without truth, I don't even know if it's even grace. So we had a young woman at that church plant that we were a part of who wanted to leave her husband because, you know, and no wonder, they had a very unhappy marriage. But just to be clear, it was not like a abusive situation where, you know, if she came to me, I'd be like, you need, to, you need to get out of there, and then we'll talk about next steps. It wasn't like that at all. They were just really unhappy, and she wanted to get out of there, and we had talked to her, and others had talked to her, but the, the day came when she wanted to pack up and just disappear, and she called some people in the church, but she did not call me or Lindsay because she knew what we were going to say. Like, yeah, this is a very unhappy situation, and I don't even know if I can see a clear path to how you'd get from where you are to happiness, but I can see this. If you throw a contentious divorce on top of this situation, that's not going to make you or anybody else happy. And she, but she didn't call us, and she didn't call any of the other pastors, and she didn't call her community group leader. She called three different people in the church, and they were the three different people who were going to tell her, do it. The three, the three different people who weren't going to judge her, at least they weren't going to say it out loud, they were going to accept what she wanted. They were going to give her grace. And what that means is, I'm not going to say it to you right now. You know, I'm going to judge you in my own heart. And I'm going to talk about it the second you turn your back. I mean, how do you think we found out that she called these three people? Um, <laughs> but I'm not going to say it to you right now. And you know you have that YOLO friend that you can call when you're thinking about doing something sideways, who you know the friend is just going to be like, do it, girl. <laughs> you know, you know that, you know, you know that friend. 
And you're only calling her because you already decided that that's what you want to do. And you're trying to get somebody to give you the permission to go do it. So that's, that's why you call her. And maybe, and you're calling her because she's not going to say anything to you to your face. But the second you turn your back, she's going to be like, mm-hmm. Did you hear what she, she left? She called me. She called me. She, she's judging you in your heart, in her heart, but she didn't say it to you out loud. But yeah, that's why you, you called her. But, so when you're thinking about doing something like without regard to future consequences, you have those people that will tell you it's okay and call that grace. But is that grace? Is, is it grace if basically my grace to you means I don't care what you do or what happens to you? Is indulgence permissiveness to your own detriment? Is that really grace? I mean, you can see instantly in some kind of physical need how ridiculous that is. If you were walking into your building and there were some freezing, starving children outside and you were just like, God does not hold this against you and walked into your building, is that grace? But for some reason, when it's a moral or a relational or a spiritual need, we feel like that's different. I would go so far as to say that if if grace to you means indifference, if you push that to its ultimate conclusion, I can't see a difference between that kind of grace and contempt. So, graceless truth stops being true. Truthless grace isn't really grace. They need each other. And yet, we all feel like they're kind of opposed to each other. They're sort of pulling in opposite directions. I mean, Surely, truth and grace are kind of at odds with each other. Justice and mercy are sort of pulling in opposite directions. You've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. You have the law and forgiveness. You have the Father and the Son. You've got the judge and the sacrificial lamb. And surely, these things are pulling away from each other. They're at odds to one another. Truth and grace don't sit well together, and yet you can't have truth without grace, and you can't have grace without truth. So we have a real problem. We, we, there's a real problem, a real tension bound up in that, and, and how do we make sense of it? Well, that problem, that tension, is what I think this passage in John speaks directly to, and that's why I want to look at it today. But uh, fair warning, this passage is going to take us probably a little bit further than any of us would volunteer to go. So Prepare yourself. Okay. John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I just let me unpack that a little bit because there's some big stuff in there. The Word. The Greek word there is logos. It's a, it's a rich word in philosophy. It's a word that the first Christians took from Greek philosophy, from, those, from the Greek language, from those philosophers. And it, the way Christians use it, it, it kind of means everything that God has to say, the Word, what God has to say. And the Word is eternal because everything that God has to say, He's always been saying. There was never a time when He wasn't saying it. So the Word is co-eternal with God, the Father and the Son and the Spirit that lives between them. And what God has to say, he'll never not be saying. And so the word goes on into the future forever and ever, as does the spirit between God and what he has to say. Now, when I say God, when I say the Father, I don't mean like an old man in the sky. I mean the ground of all being, the structure of reality, 
the, the transcendent, the one that we can never know because he's infinite, always bigger than us. And he's every place and he knows all things and he exists in his fullness in every single point in place. The transcendent one that is absolutely without limitation and everything that he has to say, the son, that everything that God has to say took on limitation and became a flesh and blood human being at a certain point in history about 2,000 years ago in the Middle East and grew up in a small town called Galilee, or Ga Galilee and learned his, uh, his father's trade and lived and walked on the streets and taught and lived. The Word became flesh. That's what this is saying here. And we have seen His glory. John was one of His disciples. He's saying, I've seen Him. I've seen everything that God has to say expressed in the language of us our species, humans. We've seen His glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's the phrase that I think is the key to us understanding this. And I'm actually going to focus my comments on just two words out of that phrase. I want to talk about the word and and the word full, full of grace and truth. But first, let me just uh, show you verse 15. There it says, John testified concerning him. Now, th this John is not the John who wrote the book of John. Sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I feel like we could benefit from some last names here, guys, because <laughs> this John is John the Baptist that he's saying. John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus and had a huge following and baptized all these people in the Jordan River, including Jesus. John the Baptist testified concerning Jesus he cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. This one is the one who is the son, the eternal son, everything God has to say right here in our time and place, Jesus. That's what he's saying here. Now, I want to focus on that phrase, full of grace and truth, and I want to start with the word and. Because before we really talk about what it means to be full of grace and truth, I have to dismantle this, uh, this wrong idea we have that grace and truth are opposed to one another. Because they're actually, not only are they not opposed to one another, they're essential aspects of one another, and they fuel and magnify one another. They are two eternal realities of the Father and the Son and the Spirit between them, grace and truth. They, they're both a part of it. You can't have one without the other. So let me talk about how truth is actually grace, um, because it, it'll help us understand the next couple of verses here. So um, we'll talk about the law in the, in the Old Testament, but also some in the New Testament. There are some rules, some laws. So the law is basically a truth statement about the way things are in the moral, emotional, psychological, or social, relational realm. And it's very similar to how we think about the physical laws. Like we say gravity is a law, that if, you, if I step off this stage, I'll drop down to the floor. But really what we're doing is making a truth observation about the way things always go. Um, or if, you know, a law like if you touch fire, you get burned. It's a law in the sense that it's a truth statement about the way things work. That's what the law is. The law is a, a gift from God a telling to us, a teaching to us about the way things actually work. And actually coming from God, it's him saying, this is how I work. This is my mind. This is what's true. There are certain things that are true. Now, the problem is 
The consequences aren't always immediate, you know, and that's true in the physical realm too. If you deforest a mountainside, you don't get a mudslide right then, but the next rainy season, people die. And it's the same in the moral, psychological, spiritual realm. There are certain things that are true, inevitably true, but maybe it hurts other people or maybe it plays out in the next generation or maybe it comes back seven years later, but you reap what you sow. These laws are truth statements about the way the world actually works. And so, as such, they were a gift of grace to very confused people who didn't know their heads from their tails about how to operate within the world. And we need the law. There's nothing wrong with the law. Jesus said that he didn't come to get rid of the law. He came to fulfill the law. But that does raise the question then, well, why was Jesus always butting heads with the religious leaders then? Why was he always saying, you got it wrong, you got it wrong, these rules are wrong? Well, uh, let's see if I can try to... Here's, um, try to explain this. This is like pushing me right to the edge of what I can even understand, let alone explain. But the, the law, there are the eternal, unchanging realities about the law, uh, truths about God and being. But they have to be contextualized. They, they have to be made specific to our time. So just for an example, like the Bible does not say anywhere in it how much Fortnite is too much Fortnite. The, the, the Bible does not say anywhere in it, is it okay for you to do just a little bit of online shopping when you're on the clock or not? It does not say anything about that. For that, the, the truth needs to be, wow, I hit a nerve with that one. <laughs> for that, the truth, maybe we just need to stop it right there. Stop. Stop spending money you don't have, you know, whatever. Um, the tr- oh, that's another one. I'm sorry, I got to stop. Five sermon series later, we'll get back to this, this verse. There's the unchanging eternal truths of Scripture which are, lack nothing and are all sufficient for, for life and faith, and they, they're, they're true things about God and being, and they never change. And then, and you have that in the Bible. And then you also have in the Bible an historical record of how God's people have applied those truths in different times and places throughout history. And we have to do the same thing today. The truth must be embodied so, and, and actually, that record in Scripture is how we learn how to do that, by watching how God's people have done that, and then in particular by watching the Master. Because here's the problem with the law. The problem with the law is me. The problem with the law is that I can't follow it, and I add to it, and I take away from it, and I rationalize my inability to agree with it, and I, and I, and I twist it up, and we do, and we all do that, and, and religious people can really get down with that and and start to accumulate all these extra rules and rituals and ceremonies that aren't part of the unchanging eternal truths. They're an attempt, maybe an, an even good attempt, maybe even an attempt that worked at one time to contextualize the timeless truth for a time and place. But then over time, they become, their, their environment shifts. They, they become calcified and rigid to the point where in Jesus' day, some of those rituals and, and ceremonies and rules not only didn't properly express the eternal truths about God, they even hindered people from living out the eternal truths of God and in some cases made it impossible. They, and the religious leaders were holding their added-on man-made rules above 
the eternal truths. And that's the stuff that Jesus went after. If you watch his ministry, that's the stuff that he went after. He kept getting irritated that people's rules about the Sabbath, for example, were stopping people from actually resting on the Sabbath, or that people's rules about generosity towards the church were keeping people from being generous to their parents and honoring their mother and, their mother and father. But Jesus always brought it back to the eternal unchanging rule. What he dismantled was the man-made accumulated stuff that we put around it. And watching the master do that is how we learn to do that today. But the truth needs to be embodied, and that's true today. And there is a body of Christ today. The New Testament says that we are the body of Christ, and that the Holy Spirit works in us, the hands, the feet, the mouth, all the different body parts. And together, one of the main purposes of the church is to upgrade, update, and reapply, and make specific to embody the unchanging, timeless truths to our day and our time. It's actually a huge part of why we're here today. We do things all the time without knowing why we're doing them. I'm telling you, why, part of why you've come here today is for that. That's what we're doing. We're taking these unchanging truths and applying them to our days today. So that's why Jesus kept coming up against that. The, the truth actually has to be embodied. And the way that it is embodied is through the personality of Christ, which is also full of grace. And so, grace, the truth, is an act of grace. Giving the truth is a gift. Now, with all that in mind, I want to read the next two verses, and I bet you're going to get them on a whole different level now. Verse 16, it says, Out of His fullness we have received grace in place of grace already given. So, what was that grace already given? Verse 17 for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The grace that God had been giving was the law, which was good and could lead us to salvation if we could follow it. Unfortunately, we can't. So Jesus came and gave grace on top of that grace. I gave you good law that you can't do, and now I'll fulfill that law for you. So that's what this verse means of grace on top of grace. So not only can you not have truth without grace, truth is grace. And the opposite is true as well. Grace is true. Grace is true. So for those of us that kind of lean towards the truth camp, and I say this with love because I lean towards the truth camp. Thank God, Lindsay, my wife, leans towards the grace camp, I think. Otherwise, I, I, could, I could become too, uh, too rigid, uh, too, too unbending, um, but So I say this with love, but those of us that lean towards the truth camp, you'll think and say things like, you can't pick and choose your verses, you've got to apply the whole counsel of Scripture. And what I normally mean by that when I say that is, sometimes you've got to disagree, sometimes you've got to challenge, sometimes you even have to rebuke. And you want to know what? Fair enough, because sometimes you do. And, and in fact, maybe looking at our world today, I don't know if there's ever been a time that human beings have been alive where we were more desperate for somebody to stand up and say what's really true. So fair enough. Sometimes, sometimes you do. However, when you do that, you are picking and choosing. Because here are some other things that are simultaneously true about that person. That person is made in the image of God with irrevocable, infinite, value. And if Jesus were here right now, he would step into the path of a bullet to save their life. And if that person killed Jesus, he would pray, Father, forgive them. And uh, if they're your enemy, then Jesus has commanded you to bless them. 
and pray for them. And Jesus takes no pleasure in the death of anybody. He, he wants everybody to turn around and live, and so Jesus would not take even a little bit of satisfaction in their downfall. And your battle isn't even against that person. Your battle is against spiritual realities that threaten to drive that person and you and me. And God's plan, his dream, his hope, what he's working for, and you better believe me, he's working for this. His dream is that you and that person would spend all of eternity together in blissful union. So you are picking and choosing your truth. Because the reality is grace is true, and I actually think it's the truest thing about anybody that you see. I think it's what this whole thing is about, creation, this whole experiment. God's whole purpose is to create recipients of grace. And so when you want to speak truth about somebody, speak about grace because it's the truest thing that you can speak about them. Now, there is a time and a place for challenge and rebuke and correction and, and all that kind of stuff. So that all raises the question of, okay, so how do we know when? How do I know when to speak and when to shut up? How do I know what to say? When should I comfort? When should I challenge? How should I say it if I'm going to say it? And if we're going to update things, how do we do that? You know, how do we reapply it and recontextualize it in the best way? Because because we have to do that. We have to update things. And this is what's getting us into what it means to be full of truth and grace. Because there's a difference between knowing the truth and being full of the truth. And there's a difference between talking about grace and being full of grace. And um, let's just talk about what Jesus' life looked like, and then I'll see if I can give some suggestions about how we can follow in his footsteps. So if, if you look at the life of Jesus, who was full of grace and truth, you see, you see a man that was full of truth. He didn't just know the truth. And, and here's what that looked like. He said some offensive stuff. He said stuff that was so offensive that people who were listening to him immediately left and started to plan how they could kill him. So it's not like he backed off of the things, the hard things that needed to be said, but he also like... He didn't just say the truth. He didn't just recite the law as stated. He took it further. So, you know, he'd say, you've heard the law, don't commit adultery. Well, I tell you, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have already committed adultery in your heart. <laughs> the rich young ruler comes up to him. He has a coveting problem. And, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the law, go and do that. And he says, I've done all that. And then Jesus says, okay, well, if you want to be perfect, Go and sell everything you own and give it to the poor. Now, Jesus didn't just say the law. He took it way further than any of us would be willing to take it. And he was very inventive and creative. He made up all these stories and parables. And sometimes he responded with a statement, sometimes with a story, sometimes with a question. He was very creative and inventive about how he brought the truth to bear on the situation. He was full of truth. And he was full of grace. He didn't just talk about grace. He actually reached out and touched the person with the communicable skin disease. He welcomed the poor people. He, he talked frankly to the sex workers. He, he talked frankly to the religious leaders. He hung out with corrupt government officials. And, and little children wanted to be around him. Everybody wanted to be around him. Every type of person wanted to be around him. He got invited to the, you know, the elite parties with the religious leaders and good, hardworking, blue-collar people and super-educated people and uh, people with all kinds of uh, problems or all kinds of illnesses, people with disabilities wanted to be around him, uh, 
criminals wanted to be around him, that sex workers wanted to be around him. Every different type of person wanted to be around this guy, even though his truth-telling was so extreme, everybody still wanted to be around him, and even little children wanted to be around him. I went to pick my three-year-old up from preschool the other day, and he was having such a good time in the sandbox that when he saw me, he started crying. <laughs> I'm his dad. You can't make little kids want to be around somebody. You just can't. You could try. You could be like, it's Jesus. Go, go. Let him just put, put his hand on your head or something. Just go there. The kids won't do it. They won't do it. So when little kids want to be around somebody, it, it says a lot about what it means to be full of grace. And the effect that this man had, full of grace and truth, is unparalleled. We've never seen anything since. I don't know if we'll ever see anything since then. He never wrote a book, but the best-selling book in the history of the world was written about him. He started no organizations, launched nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But he didn't do it. He just trained up a dozen people, and then they started the greatest organization in the history of the world. I mean, he's a very unique character who just was full of grace and truth right where he was, and the effects are just unbelievable. So then the question is, okay, so how do we do that? How do we follow in his footsteps? And I have some thoughts, and they're not easy. (laughs) They haven't been fun for me to try to do. They've been life-giving, but they haven't been fun. So let me talk about truth first, being full of truth. I think the first step that we have to take is we we have to stop lying. And uh, isn't it funny that people don't talk about lying a lot? We really don't talk about, you talk to little kids about lying, but then we stop talking to ourselves about lying. But everything that went wrong in the world started with a lie. I mean, Satan is called the father of lies. Everything in the garden went sideways because of the deception of the serpent. The lie is the foundation of all that's wrong. It all starts with the lie. And if you start, this is not for the faint of heart, so it's only if you really want to do this Jesus-following thing should you try this. I have tried it a little bit. It's tough. If you start watching what comes out of your mouth, I'll just speak for myself. Close to 99% of everything that I say is a lie. And what I mean by that is it's deceptive. It's, it's not what I really think. It's not who I really am. It's either what I think you want to hear or what I think I could say to try to make things happen the way that I think that I want them to happen, or it's managing some kind of image for myself, or um, it's being cowardly, you know, holding back from what I really want to say, or it's justifying something wrong for somebody else because then I can kind of hold that for myself too, or whatever, but it's not the truth. And so that's why I don't even know if I'm capable of really saying the truth yet because so much, I'm so full of deception. And so the first step is to stop lying. But, but this is what happens. If you stop lying, if you just watch, just watch what comes out of your mouth, you can feel it. Your, your conscience, the law written on your heart, if you're a follower of Jesus, the witness of the Holy Spirit, you can feel it spiritually. It's the spiritual equivalent of like, kind of just like this. Like your shoulders slumped. It feels like a moral weakness when you do this. You feel it. And you become more sensitive to it the more you pay attention to it. And if you, if you just watch what you say, here's what happens. You'll start to notice, like, that wasn't really me. That wasn't really me. And then you'll start to get in touch with, well, what is really me? What do I really think? And, um, and then you'll almost accidentally start telling the truth. If you can stop lying. 
because you will not like that feeling. It's, a, it's not a good feeling. And, and you'll even um, realize the ways that you lie to yourself. So you'll, you'll leave a situation and, and you'll say like, man, someone, something, I felt like something needed to be said there. I don't feel right about that. Either it's personal, like I'm feeling some resentment, or it's like that wasn't true. And no one said what was really happening or what's really true. And, and someone should have said it. And then what will rise up is that part of you, that YOLO part of you that's always justifying and you'll say, like, that's not really your job, and you don't really want to be that guy, and all that, and so that you can kind of rationalize away the fact that you did not, you were not true to yourself, and you won't like that feeling. And either, A, maybe you'll be able to go back and make it right and, and tell the truth what you really think, or B, you'll at least be able to say, I'm going to recognize that happening the next time that I'm in a situation like that, and I'm going to say what I really think, and, and, and you can make a change. And you'll start to say what you really think. Now, what if you're wrong? It's a good question, because we often are. Well, at least then you'll say what you really think, and you'll get it out there, and then people can beat up on it and reflect it back to you, and maybe it'll actually update what you really think, and you will gradually become full of the truth. The truth will come out. If I had a dollar for every time my wife updated what I thought was actually true, but you gradually become fuller and fuller of the truth. So we have to stop lying, and then you will actually start telling the truth. And when it comes to grace, um, we have to forgive everybody everything. That's the, that's the starting point. And um, it's brutal. It's brutal, but, it, but it's really true. You can't, have, you can't give unmerited favor to everyone you encounter uh, if you are holding anything against anyone or any type of person, any group of, of people, um, you, you just won't. You won't. You will take subtle revenge. You will. You will do it. If you so, if there's anything in you that's like taking pleasure in the and fa- in, in someone getting what comes to them or or things not working out for somebody or whatever, then there's unforgiveness going on there. And if you could get a handle of your unforgiveness, if you could forgive everybody everything then you might actually start to become full of grace so you could actually serve and give and love without regard to who this person is. And I really, I, I'm not doing this, but I'm, I mean this. This is the truth. C.S. Lewis, during World War II, he started a spiritual discipline for himself of praying for Adolf Hitler every night. And not praying that Adolf Hitler would be burned alive. And I'm I would get that sentiment. I'm one-eighth Jew. I made the cutoff for the gas chambers. I get that sentiment, why you would pray that. But he didn't pray that. He prayed for his redemption. He prayed that he would come to repentance. And this was not him praying for some tin pot dictator on the other side of the world he'd never meet. They were bombing London when he prayed this. And he fought in World War II. So this was a real thing. But he did it because he knew that Jesus had commanded him to pray for his enemies. And so he took that seriously. And that is some real full of grace type stuff. Now, if we don't do that, let me talk about what will happen, because it's, it's scary. If we don't tell the truth, if, you, if we practice deception, as we have done, and stay full of deception, then it gradually erodes all relationships, all love, because all relationships are built on trust, whether relationships with each other, or relationships with God, or relationship with ourselves. It's all built on trust. And you know when someone has lied to you, what it took for you to trust them again if you've ever been able to trust them again. And so when we practice deception and we're all presenting these images of ourselves to each other, it's very difficult to actually trust another uh, human being. And 
where it gets really gross is you eventually lose trust in yourself. And you'll, you'll come to a point in your life where you have some big decision to make and you ask yourself, what should I do? Or you ask God, what should I do? And you won't be able to trust what rises up inside of you. You, you won't know who you are and you won't know what you want because the part of you that's been screaming the nonsense has drowned out the real you for so long that you can't even hear that anymore. Has drowned out the little voice of the Holy Spirit for so long that you can't even hear what he's really saying anymore. And grace, uh, if we don't practice grace, I mean, these are the scariest words I've ever written, ever read. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. That is intense. That is intense. Now, if if I think in an eternal sense, I think the blood of Jesus covers all. Because I, I, I don't even know if it would be possible for me to, to realize all the people that I haven't forgiven, to let alone forgive them in this short life that I have. Uh, but set that aside. Set eternity aside. We'll just talk about right here, right now. And wow, that's true. Just speaking from personal experience, if you have unforgiveness towards somebody and in your mind, in your heart, you would take a little, you would like it if they got what's coming to them. And you're you're, you're kind of in your mind, you're kind of like punching that image of that person in your heart. You're torturing yourself. And you, if, to the degree that you are not forgiving, you are not forgiven. You, you are in bondage. And if you would let them go, if you would forgive them, give up the right to justice. Give up the right to get even with that person. If you would let that go, you would simultaneously free yourself from the cage. Now, here's what will happen if we do these two things. If we practiced the truth, even falteringly, if we practiced grace and bit by bit became full of truth and full of grace, and maybe at first, it's just a little bit. Maybe we can hardly ever even tell the truth or we can hardly ever even show grace. Maybe all we can do is stop lying and stop being unforgiving. And maybe we can't even do that. Maybe at first, all we can do is just notice when we're lying and notice when we're not being forgiving, wherever we are. If we started to take a step towards fullness of truth and grace, well, regarding the truth, here's what would happen. We would become so much healthier and at peace because we wouldn't be divided against yourself. You, you wouldn't have the part of you, that the deep, true part of you, at odds with what you're presenting. You, you'd be an integrated whole person. You also wouldn't have to remember anything. Um, because you just, you don't have to think back to like, wait, what did I say to you last time or whatever? Because you'd just be telling the truth all the time. So truth telling could take the place of you remembering what you said last time. And honestly, I don't think the world has seen what would happen with the collective freed up brain power of God's church if we all put away deception and just started telling the truth. Think of the real problems we could solve in the world if we redirected all that energy towards the real problems in the world. And... Life becomes kind of an adventure because you, you give up the, um, uh, the attempt to manipulate things to happen the way you think you want to happen. And, and you might as well give it up because what do we know about what we want to happen anyway? So you give that up and instead you just say what you really think. You know, and maybe you're wrong and you get corrected or, or maybe you're right and it blows back in your face or maybe you're right and it actually does some good in the world. But you give up that right and you just kind of like see what happens. And I, I'll tell you from my limited to the little bit of degree I've been able to do this, I have found that almost always it works out way better than I ever would have thought that it would, and it is always entertaining. <laughs> Second, grace, being full of grace. Well, this is another thing that you actually get to feel. Um, when you give real grace, 
or full of grace towards somebody, you feel God smile. It feels, it feels like the universe has aligned behind you because you have aligned yourself with the universe. The universe, the purpose of God's universe is to give grace. And when you get in the flow of that, you can actually feel the pleasure of the ground of being. So I had an experience with that recently. Um, my, uh, my wife and I just got the kids together. It was a day off. We had them all in the strollers, whatever. That is like a miracle when we get everybody outside, all right, together. It's just like, it's like, oh, oh yeah. And we're on our way to the park, and this delivery guy walks down the street, and he has these two enormous, heavy-looking bags of food, catered food. And he, he, he sets the bags down and gets his ticket out, and he asks us to help him find an address in our neighborhood. Now, this happens all the time uh, for us, because we live in uh, North Bronx at the bottom of the hill, and up the cliff... There's Riverdale, kind of the nicer part of the Bronx up there. It's similar to here in Harlem where, like, I think it's Morningside Park. You have that, those steps you have to climb to get up to that part up there. Um, and, like, streets are continuous. So, like, 236 comes to, to our building, and then there's a cliff. But there's another piece of 236 up there. And it happens all the time that people are trying to find an address up there, and they're down here. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but there's no bus. There's no train. You just got to, you know... So this guy was looking for an address up there, and it flashed through my mind for a moment like, you're only a block from the house. You, you should give this guy a ride. And then I was like, nah, we're going to go to the park. Um, and then Lindsay, fortunately, was like, she looked at me, and she was like, you should give him a ride. And I got to do the easy part. She got to do the hard part because she wasn't going to get in a car with some man she didn't know. So I was the one that drove him, and she stayed with the kids. And we walked him the block down to our building, and I got the, got the car, and I stuffed those bags in the back seat. And those bags weighed like 50 pounds each. And this was like that last day in September when it was like 90 degrees outside or whatever. He was already wet, red, and sweating and stuff. And I crammed those bags into our car seats, which if you order catering, you have no idea where that food has been by the time it gets to you. I'm just going to put that out there. We crammed that food back, put the pacifiers out of the way or whatever, and then got in the car, and it was, Google said it was a seven-minute drive from where we were, but it would have been like a 20-minute walk because it was this crazy way you had to walk. And it includes a staircase that is no less than 200 stairs that you had to go up. With those bags, it probably would have taken him like an hour, and he'd have been dying when he got there. He took the train because traffic was so bad he couldn't take his car, so he took the train not realizing it was going to drop him off at the bottom of the hill and he was going to have this huge walk. And when he saw how far it was going to be for him to walk up there when he was in the car... He just, there was a bit of a language barrier. He just started saying, I will hold you in my, in my heart. I will hold you and your wife and my boys in my heart. Forever I will hold you in my heart. And so we're driving up there, and I there even some, shared some truth. Um, be, not because I was on my game, but because I started getting embarrassed. This guy was like, I will hold you in my heart. I will hold you in my heart forever. And I was like trying to find words that he would understand. I was like, God did this for me. Don't, it's okay. God, God did this for me. Don't, it's, it's all right. And so there was grace and truth. And I got him up to the building and, and, um, and dropped him off and I could feel it. I'm telling you, I could feel it. I could feel God smiling. You know this feeling. If you've ever had this feeling, you can feel God smiling. That's the fullness of grace. Now, we have to start where we are, and maybe we're pretty far away from uh, where Jesus is. I'm sure, that, I'm sure that we are. But let's start. And, and just remember as you attempt that your God is also full of grace and truth. 
for you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for um, taking the time to help us understand the truth. Thank you for the grace that you've added upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. Help us to get rid of deception, all bitterness and revenge, and to be full of truth and full of grace. Amen.